All right, last week we started looking at this conversation that Jesus is having with, with Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees who has seen the work of his miracles and seen the signs that he's doing, maybe saw him cleansing the temple, those sorts of things, and now has come to him in the middle of the night to have the secret conversation about whether Jesus is, is from the Lord or not. Has he come from God? That's the, the question that, that Nicodemus is trying to figure out. And so last week we, we talked about the problem with the Pharisees was that they had kind of gotten to the point in their own theology where they were more concerned about being right and keeping the law than actually having a relationship with God. Uh, no longer seeking to please God out of love for him necessarily, but maybe even trying to earn his salvation by their law keeping. And so they had taken what was intended to be a relationship and kind of turned it into a transaction. And, um, and so Jesus, uh, because of that, going forward, we're going to see Jesus reserves his harshest sort of admonitions, even condemnation for the Pharisees because of their focus on outward works and the fact that that them being the teachers of Israel are leading people astray. And so Jesus has um, pointed words for them, we would say. In our passage today, like we said, Jesus is still talking here to Nicodemus in the middle of the night. And his encouragement in this part of the passage is for him to no longer look to his own good works to save him, but to look up, to look to Christ, who one day is going to be lifted up. And we'll see how that points us to the cross um, and whatnot. Today we're going to read um, this whole next paragraph from, I'm going to start in verse 14 and read all the way down through 21, but we're really going to focus on 14 and 15 uh, today, and then we're going to go back to Numbers 21 and kind of see the roots and history behind this passage. Um, we'll jump back in and look at John 3.16 and some of those verses next in the coming weeks. Um, the, when we think about uh, what's going on here, we, we're, we're called, like we said, to look up, to see that there's hope that comes not from within us, but from outside of us. To look out and, and to the Savior uh, that has come. So let's read. Uh, I'm going to read for us, starting in John chapter 3, verse 14. I'm going to read all the way down to verse 21. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Would you help us to submit ourselves to it, to rejoice in it, to live according to its teachings, that, um, that we might bring glory to your name, the God who has loved us and, and seeks us out and calls us out and reveals to us the truth of the gospel. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for Jesus, who here teaches Nicodemus, uh, but, but the mainly teaches him that he is that Jesus is the one who will die for his sins, who repent and believe. Help us all to repent and believe and trust in Christ alone for salvation. 
It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, to understand our passage today, we've got to go back to Numbers 21 and learn about this event that, that Jesus references here in, in verse 14 of John 3. Uh, if you remember, the Israelites had left, had left Egypt. They had been sent out, and, and they were on their way to the Promised Land. And, and along the way, they're hungry. Remember, they're walking around in the wilderness, and, and God sent them manna, literally angel food, food that's out of this world, we might say. Um, and God even made, when they were thirsty, God made water come out of a rock. Um, now, the people, they wanted to walk straight to Canaan through the land of Edom, but the king of Edom said, nope, I'm going to kill you if you come through here, basically. And so they wisely took a longer route and went around Edom. And so the, the people are, um, of course, along the way they're attacked. They, they run into this Canaanite king and they're attacked, and they win this battle. Surprise of all surprises, they win this battle. Of course, God's with them. You would think that their spirits would be up. They should be excited. Even though we've had to take the long way around, God is providing for us food from the heavens, water from the rocks. He's given us victory over this evil king. And yet, what do the people of God do? Whine and complain. Whine and complain. Nothing's good enough. You made us walk, walk the long way around. We have the same food to eat every day. The water is tastes like rock or something. I don't know. Everything they're complaining about. Complaining, 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 complaining. And so in the midst of their complaining, God sends some judgment upon them in the form of snakes. You think, man, this is crazy. It is crazy. Let me let me read it for you. I think these verses are up here. Let's read. Um, I'm going to read. Numbers 21, 4 through 9 for you. Here's what it says. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. Did y'all catch that? There's no food, but we loathe this worthless food. Yeah, there's something, obviously something going on there, right? All right. Um, then the Lord sent fiery serpents. We think that means poisonous snakes. Fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at this bronze serpent and live. That's a crazy story. And snakes are creepy. Um, just throw that in. At least you may love snakes. If so, we have a word for you, weird. Um, uh, you know, I'd have been okay if God had just wiped all the snakes off after the fall. Maybe he left them around to remind us that the fall is real, the curse of sin is real, I don't know. But think about this, that the people in the wilderness with Moses, think about what they're going through when God sent this judgment in the form of these fiery serpents. Um, and we know that the chances are, because this, we know that part of the world, that the, this likely that these snakes that he sent upon them, sent, sent to them, was the carpet viper. Okay, I don't know much about carpet vipers myself, but I, I read something this week. It says, 
Here's uh, the Handbook of Clinical Toxicology of Animal Venoms. Sounds important, and right, right? The Handbook of Clinical Toxicology of Animal Venoms. Here's what it says. When a carpet viper bites you, here's what's going to happen. 15 minutes to one to two hours after the bite, you're going to experience nausea, vomiting, headaches, and spontaneous bleeding from the gums, nose, and gastrointestinal and urinary tracts, and bleeding from any partly healed or recent wounds. Your blood's going to start clotting. One in five people have trouble seeing and even become blind. You know, in our day, not many people die from the bite of the carpet viper. We have antivenoms and those sorts of things, but they do experience some of these symptoms and might wish they were dead. There are all these crazy things going on. But here, in, in Numbers, in Israel, among the people of Israel who are under the judgment of God, they were dying. And the people, the people ran to Moses, seemingly realizing that their sin is what has brought this judgment. They start confessing their sins and pleading with Moses to ask God to save them. But, but here's what we need to see. While we should all be able to agree that being bitten by a carpet viper is horrible. If I read that again for you slowly, you would start getting more and more of the, the horrific nature of those symptoms. Sin is worse than a snake bite. That, that's what's true. We get snake bites. None of us want snake bites. We run, we're like you know, Indiana Jones. Not snakes, no. You know, run from snakes because we know the consequences of snake bites. But yet we play around with sin. We don't take sin seriously until the consequences of sin come upon us. Or judgment comes upon us. Spiry snakes start biting us. Snakes may destroy our body. They make, make us bleed out of every orifice on our body. But sin can destroy our souls. What was the sin here that the Israelites of the Israelites that brought judgment? We, we've seen that they whined and complained against Moses and God. But notice that verse 4 describes their sin as being what? Impatient on the way. Impatient on the way. They're not satisfied with where God had them, where he had brought them. They were basically telling God, God, you don't know what you're doing. If you knew what you were doing, we would already be in the promised land. You know, that land flowing with milk and honey, all those things. But no, we're out here walking around in the desert, eating manna, drinking water out of rocks, and you don't know what you're doing. That's what's implied here. They despised his way. They despised his provision. You know, there's a famous sermon illustration that I, I don't know that I've ever used uh, because it's kind of cheesy and everyone's heard it. But, you know, there's this illustration about this man who's caught on his roof in a massive flood. And he's on his roof and he's praying, God, would you save me? I have faith in you. God, would you save me? And a few minutes later, a rowboat comes by and the guy says, jump in and I'll take you to safety. He goes, no. I've got faith that God's going to save me. And a few minutes later, a motorboat comes by, zooming, and slows down and stops and says, jump in, I'm going to take you to safety. He goes, nope, I'm afraid to God, God's going God's to save me. 
And a few minutes later, even a helicopter comes as the water's rising. He says, grab the rope and I'll drag you, I'll take you, I'll pull you up to safety. And he says, no, God's going to get me. God's got me. I've prayed and I have faith that God's going to save me. And then he drowns and goes to heaven. And he sees God and he goes up to God and he says, God, I prayed and I had faith that you would save me. And he said, man, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What do you expect me to do? Kind of like the Israelites. We're hungry. God gives us food. And we say, it's not good enough. I'm thirsty. And God gives us water. And it's not good enough. We have enemies. And he gives us victory over our enemies. We go, it's not good enough. How often are we impatient with God? Dissatisfied with what he's provided for us. Or where he has us in life. And so the question is, do we trust him? Are we willing to even look for his hand of providence in our situation? Or are we just looking at the things around us and wondering how are we going to make this work out instead of trusting that, that God's taking us home? It was obvious that God was leading the Israelites. See, it, on top of the things that we've already talked about, he also gave them a cloud by day and fire by night to lead them, to show them exactly where to go, but yet they still doubt it. When we fall into temptation, it's like walking into a den of snakes. We should run... But, but often we're frozen in, we're, we're frozen in place, in danger. And when our, when our flesh bites that apple and sin comes upon us, it's like a snake bites. Death comes to us. Death of relationships, death of our relationship with God, death of our relationship with others that we sin against. We experience death, even as believers, every time we sin because we, we fall into brokenness. And yet God is faithful to redeem us. And yet we have to trust him. We, we've got to avoid sin like we would avoid a path full of snakes. You know, I've spent a large part of my life running cross country uh, many years ago. And uh, I remember a few times running uh, and coming across snakes. I remember one time we were running. I grew up in LaGrange. We were running around the high school there. There happened to be a guy who had transferred in from Connecticut, really good runner, uh, that year. Um, who was running with us. He had never been around Georgia and grass and trees and whatever. I don't know what all. But where's what I know? I know that one day we were running along this little ridge, this little path, and a snake came across us. And all of us Georgia boys kind of screamed and yelped a little bit, and he turned around and ran as fast as he could the other direction. <laughs> screaming like a well, like a little girl. That's probably that's probably rude, and I'm not just um, I'm probably not supposed to say that. But that's exactly what was happening. It was kind of funny because he was faster than all of us, and he's running completely the other direction. You know, in a group, we kind of go, "Oh, that was a snake," and we all laugh about it. But one time, I was running in the woods by myself, and I was running down this trail. And as I got to this certain point, I, I passed this point, and I hear something behind me. And there's this black snake in the middle of the trail that I had just stepped over. That makes your heart skip a beat. Mine, anyway. Why? Because we recognize danger. Even if it's not dangerous. Maybe it's non-venomous. Chances are neither of those snakes are going to hurt us at all. But we don't know that. And so we're wary of snakes. Our hearts get tense when we... See a snake. But what about sin? Do we take sin seriously at all? Do we look at the sin that's tempting us and do we see it as dangerous as a den of snakes? 
I suspect that, that we don't. We want to avoid sin and live for God's glory. That's what we confess. But our flesh often wins out over the spirit. The snakes are killing us. What is, what is our hope in those moments? Paul in Romans 7 talks about this. The things I want to do, I don't find myself doing. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Meaning I want to please God. I can't find it within myself to do that at times. My sin nature and the temptation of this world is beating me down and I don't know what to do. And what does he say at the end? In verse 24, at the end of Romans 7, in verse 24 and 25, he says, Wretched man that I am. That's a confession of sin. <laughs> Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Me, right? I just got to get my act together and try harder. No. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25 says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then you know what 8.1 says, right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the one through whom our help comes. Y'all remember the Superman theme, right? Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. Yeah, look up. Help is coming. That's basically what Jesus is telling Nicodemus here. Nicodemus, get out of yourself, out of looking at your own works, out of concentrating on what you're doing, what you, 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 you are doing. Y'all remember in um, the in Les Miserables, the, at least in the musical, the very first song is a song called Look Down. Javert is... Um, it's there, they're out, um, they're still in the work camp, but yet um, Jean Valjean has been set free. His sentence is up and he's about to go free. And he's starting, you get the sense that he's starting to look out toward his freedom. His heart's starting to turn towards the freedom that he has. And Javert, who is the law, who's coming, you know, kind of the enemy in that story, keeps coming to him. He says, look down, look down. You haven't finished your work here. Look down. Why? Because he knows if he looks up, He's going to be motivated to go out, to get away, to run, to enjoy his freedom. And Javier wants to keep him beaten down, even to the point that he told him, I'm going to chase you your whole life. If you ever mess up, I'm coming to get you. Look down, look down, look down, look down, look down. But freedom, Christ, and our freedom is saying, look up. Look up to the salvation that's coming. The salvation isn't coming from within us and what we're doing. It's coming from outside of us. Our hope is to look up, ultimately to the cross, to see our hope hanging there. You know, not like a superman, more like a broken man, but a man who is broken for us. We talk about the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement, that there is a penalty for our sins. We deserve the wages of sin is death. That's real. It's as real as the dangers of snakes, and it's as real as the manna in the desert, that death comes to those who sin. But we need hope outside of ourselves. We can't save ourselves for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But yet we have a substitution for us. We, you know, like in, in baseball, you get a pitch hitter come in to take the place of the guy who's tired and, and whatnot. It, more than that, we get the one who's perfect. Jesus comes and lives a perfect life and then dies a death he doesn't deserve. He takes the wrath of God that, that we should get upon himself. And then he substitutes his record for ours. His holiness is substituted for our fallenness. 
His death is substituted for ours so that we live. We get atonement. All of our sins are paid for. All the wrath that is, is, is deemed for us that should be ours is taken by cross, by, by Christ at the cross in our place for our salvation. Christ has paid the penalty that we deserve. And so we're to look up from ourselves and focus on him. Pursue him. So what was God doing in this wilderness with the snake on a pole? It sounds weird. God tells us not to look to idols, and then he tells Moses to make this little idol of a snake and put it on a pole. What is going on? Lig Duncan, Lig and Duncan says that he thinks his theory is that God may have been actually reminding them because part of their complaining was, you know, why can't we just go back to Egypt? We had life good there. Sure, we were slaves, but we had food, we had shelter, we had all these things that we're missing out here in the desert. Um, they weren't able to see beyond that to, to where he was leading them. He's, and so Ligon Duncan says that God may have been reminding the people of what it was they wanted to return to. A place where the norm was worshiping idols. Where the people of that land were worshiping idols. Where the, the religious instruction of that land was sort of worshiping the Pharaoh and the idols and the things that, that were made there in his, in his image instead of worshiping God. But he says, but here, even in the wilderness, God is present, and God can save. And so maybe the, the idol of sorts was a reminder of the death they had left, the snakes that would eat them sort of thing. Uh, even in their salvation, they're reminded of the judgment that they deserve in that sense, that the, the thing that saved them is what they deserve. They deserve snakes or worse. They couldn't go to God and say, God, you were unjust for sending snakes to kill us because they had sinned, and the wages of sin is death. In the same way, you know, they look to the sign of God's judgment lifted up on this pole to be their redemption, to see, the, to look up to what God has provided and live. We're called to do the same. We're called to look at the judgment that we deserve when we're called to look at Christ. We deserve death. The death that Christ took, we deserve. And yet we're to look up to that judgment and that death as our hope. So there's a training here for us to look to what should kill us, to actually give us life. The cross is the symbol of Christ's death, and we're reminded that we add nothing to our salvation. All we're called to do is to look in faith to Christ and be saved. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and to us in a sense, God gave Moses this sign to teach you to look to me for salvation. Look beyond yourself. To me, Jesus is saying, in the dark of the night, Nicodemus, ashamed of even coming or fearful of his enemies in coming if he were to embrace Christ. And God says, there's hope. The hope is the light of the world, he goes on to say there at the, uh, further down in, in John 3. The, you know, we've got to understand that the people of Israel didn't turn to God, though, until when? Until they realized they were doomed. The snakes were going to kill them all. But yet, just as, the, just, as, um, just as they looked to this salvation, we've got to get to the same point, confessing our sin, asking for salvation. Have you realized, this is a question for us, have you realized that sin is death for our souls? If we haven't realized that we're sinners and that our sin is truly killing us and that unless we repent that God, we will be led down a path that leads to eternal death, 
If we don't see that, the reality of our sin and the place that our sin is leading us, we'll never long for a savior. If sin is just a bother and a burden along the way to us saving ourselves somewhere, then we're never gonna cry out for Jesus. But when we understand that sin, like these snakes in the desert, will kill us, in a greater sense, it'll kill us eternally. We have to come to that understanding before we will say, I'll take Jesus over my sin. And that's what we have to get to. Only those who know that sin is killing them look to Jesus. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, we do not preach a sentimental salvation from fancy guilt. Meaning, we don't offer Jesus to people so that they'll feel better about themselves. That's what he's saying. That we don't preach a sentimental salvation, feel better about ourselves, from fancy guilt, from toy stuff. He says, we, we preach real and true pardon for actual offenses. You get that? Real and true pardon for actual offenses. Jesus brings true salvation. Our only hope is that all of our sins are transferred onto the one who is lifted up. And that's what this passage goes on to tell us. We'll look at this in depth more in the coming weeks. But look at what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, Pharisees, Gentiles, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We like to think that we're saved and our sin knocks us out, but no, we're condemned and God is saving us because we are sinners for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Anyone who is not trusted in Christ alone for salvation is already dead. We all need new life. And the new life that we need is found only in one place. The salvation that Jesus has brought us at the cross. Maybe you're a Christian and you're, you're struggling in your life right now with sin. Serpents filling your body with venom. What do you do? What do we do? It's true for all of us on some level. What do we do? We look to the cross. Thomas Commerce talks about the expulsive power of a new affection. We tend to focus on our sin, on the snakes around us. It's hard not to do that, right? But God says, look up to a greater love. Love Jesus more than you love whatever benefits you might get temporally from that sin. Because sin can feel good. It can bring us temporal joy, right? Happiness satisfaction but the snakes will kill us sin will kill us the cross is the only power in the world that can defeat sin the answer is not in conjuring up the strength or wisdom to defeat sin ourselves the answer is looking to the cross in faith remembering and acknowledging the power of the cross as you endeavor to walk in obedience in his strength not proving ourselves to be worthy, but acknowledging that we're not worthy, that we're dependent upon His grace. Does it involve our effort? Yes, but it's an effort and a strength that He gives us, motivated by His love for us. Not that we might earn His love, but acknowledging that His love compels us to righteousness. 
The love of God for sinners pictured at the cross is, is overwhelming, or it should be overwhelming for us. We need to let it overwhelm us. Even as we come and celebrate at the table, we, this gift that God has given us to remind us of his love for us, to empower us through his grace, we're called, even here, to look up. To look up to Jesus, high and lifted up. To turn to him. For there is no salvation in any other place than the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, would you help us understand the deep, deep love of Jesus that's shown to us at the cross. That we might look to him and be saved. That we might depend upon him for our salvation, even today from sin. That when temptation comes upon us, we return and trust that Christ is enough. That we're, we, as we sang earlier, that we might recognize that he is satisfac the satisfaction that we need. And that we might be satisfied in him to the point that we turn from sin and temptation and death to embrace life and holiness and righteousness. And we can't do this ourselves. And even the Apostle Paul struggled with it. But God, help us to turn and look to Jesus, the one you have provided for our salvation, that we may no longer be condemned, but might have life and freedom and joy and looking up to the salvation that you've given us from heaven. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his glorious and gracious name that we pray. Amen.